How's everyone doing today? As always, hope that all of y'all had a good week and got to hang out and see loved ones for Thanksgiving. I was lucky enough to have this Thanksgiving off, so I got to see my family, and it was an all-around good time. We had a lot of fun, and it's always good to see my sisters and my niece and nephew because I only get to see them a couple times a year. And usually I offer to switch with someone at work who has kids for Thanksgiving. But I work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year. So I kind of did a little selfish thing and kept Thanksgiving for myself. And like I said, since I work Christmas Day and Eve, I kind of didn't feel too bad about it. But for today's topic, I thought it would be good to talk about uh taking refusals in like, should you take refusals? When is it appropriate to take refusals? And did you try your very best to talk to the patient into going to the hospital? So those are just going to be a few of the points that we're going to talk about today. As always, before we get started, we're going to hear a quick message from our sponsor anchor, and then we'll get right into it. So Refusals. This is probably a topic that can be debated till no end. Uh, you'll meet pretty much three groups of people while you work in EMS. And those are people who talk the patients into going to the hospital. People who talk the patients out of going to the hospital. And people who will try to talk patients into going but they do end up getting a refusal. So for me personally, I will try my very best in any situation to get the patient to go to the hospital with me. But ultimately, it is the patient's choice. And if they go to the hospital or not, like I said, it's up to them. But I will try my very best to talk them into either going with me or having a family member or friend take them. You always, always push the patient into going to the hospital, and if they won't go with you, try and get them to go with a family or friend. I mean, obviously that's why they call us out there, right? So I recently worked with a paramedic, and I've worked with him before, and I don't like working with him, but... I don't have a permanent partner, so I play a musical medic, and I get pretty much a different paramedic every shift. So he's uh, he's an older paramedic. He's been practicing for over 20 years. He, he is a really good medic, and he is very knowledgeable. You know, I'm not discounting or degrading his ability by any means, but because he knows so much, he is very cocky and very arrogant and will stay on scene longer than we need to while he's trying to talk the patient out of going to the hospital. Uh, I always remember the famous line he uses is, and I quote, I don't see any life threats and the emergency department treats life threats so you don't need to go. Now, is what he's saying true? Yes, the emergency department treats life threats. 
but they do also treat non-life-threatening injuries. Like I've said before, I work in a county where the median age is 65. So I work in a county that's, it's basically an elderly county. These old people, if something's not part of their normal routine, they, they freak out and become anxious and seek help right away because they've kind of lost the inability and independence to fix it themselves. So why do people call 911? They call 911 because they feel that they have lost control of their situation and need outside help to regain that control. I remember working with the same medic and we ran a call and this guy was having a like really serious gout exacerbation, I guess you call it. He couldn't walk. He couldn't move because he was in so much pain. Uh, he was just laying in his bed motionless and he got his wife to call 911 for him. And the uh, the medic, he says, and I quote, I can't do anything for you. This is a primary care physician's problem, not an ED problem. So we get the refusal. I work the next night. And wouldn't you know, we went back out to that same address for the same problem. But this time, I had a different partner. Like I said, I usually get a different partner every shift because we're so short-staffed, I don't have a permanent partner. It is what it is. And you just learn to deal with it. And, you know, maybe one day you'll get a permanent partner. I don't know. But, like I said, it was a different partner. And she decided to take him to the hospital. So we took him to the hospital. Now, does having knowledge on many different conditions and symptoms help? Yes, absolutely. You know me. I say this all the time. I'm all about furthering your education. So the more knowledge you have on the wide variety that of symptoms and signs that you can encounter during this job is only going to make you a stronger EMT or paramedic. But all that knowledge can also hurt you because like I said, the medic who's got 20 years of experience, who's seen pretty much anything, they can talk the patients basically out of their condition and you can talk them out of getting further help. That's why I always hate working with the the medic that always gets the refusals. And it's it's not just a one-time thing. It's every time I work with him, he tries his very best to talk the patients out of going to the hospital. But on the complete other end of the spectrum, you have the no refusal guy. So this person will take no for an answer. It doesn't matter how many times the patient says no, We'll stay on scene just so we can take them to the hospital. Uh, I mean, you know, these these medics and EMTs that do this pull out all the stops when trying to convince the patient into going to the hospital. 
they will say things like, well, you know, we're already here, so you might as well just come with us. Or your family called because they are worried about you, so let's go to the hospital and get checked out. And to the drastic end of the spectrum, if you don't come with us, you could die. Which, in cases, is a possibility. I'm not going to discount that. But that's probably only about 10 to 15% of the calls where the patient is actually in a life-threatening situation. You know, they'll just, they'll say anything to get you to go to the hospital. And I've sat on scene uh, for fall for an hour and a half while my medic was trying to convince this patient to go to the hospital. The patient had fallen and hit their head and it was just bleeding. Now, if you've never been around a head wound, they bleed a ton. That's just the anatomy of of the body, of the head. It just makes it bleed a lot. The head and face are uh, they're very vascular, so they just continuously bleed, and you need to hold pressure on it for a while for it to stop. Now, the patient hit their head and was bleeding, but the patient was alert and oriented, could remember what happened, explained to us what happened, and denied any pain. She was just an older lady who had stumbled and couldn't get herself off the floor. Now, the medic I was with at the time just sat there forever trying to convince her to go with us. Uh, Of course, this is where experience and personal judgment comes into play, but when a patient can answer all of your questions appropriately, they can remember the incident, and they deny any pain, it is pretty safe to say that there is no serious injuries. Now, can there still be an injury we don't see that develops over time? Yes, of course. We don't have x-ray vision. We don't have uh, a CT scan machine available at our disposal. But that is why we advise them to go to the hospital anyway. Whether, Whether they see their primary care physician, or they go to the ED. They just need to get to the hospital to see a doctor and let them know what's going on. Uh, You need to let the patient decide, though, because the patient knows their body way better than you will ever know it. It's just as simple as that. You know, you get an 80-year-old female, let's just say, I mean, she's 80 years old. You got called out and you've been on scene for 10 minutes. 10 minutes versus 80 years of knowing herself is quite a big difference. So she she knows what she needs. And so the, the last type of person is the person who tries to get them to go to the hospital, but will still take a refusal. And that's the type of person I am. You call 911, which tells me that you need help. I never ask the patient, do you want to go to the hospital? That's 
Don't ask them if they want to go. Because if you ask them if they want to go, of course they're going to say no. You know, nobody ever wants to go to the hospital, especially if they're elderly. They don't want to get uh, have the chance of getting sick while they're in the hospital and then coming home and dying, which is a big possibility when you're elderly, your immune system isn't up to par like it used to be. So I never ask them if they want to go. I ask them, which hospital do you want to go to? So now you've given them the choice of, well, I don't want to go, but here, you know, I have a list of hospitals I can go to that I know and can trust. So, like I said, now you've just given the patient choice, and pretty much you you gave them a sense of control back as to where they go. So you're not just taking them to a random place where they may or may not know that doctor. You know, if if the patient does say no, I would continue my assessment and I would bring it up again. I'd say something like, you know, hospital, I don't know, hospital ABC is, is only a couple minutes away. Uh, we can get you there pretty quick. If they still say no, I would continue my assessment. And throughout my, my assessment, I would probably ask another four times. So I've asked this patient six times which hospital they would want to go to. And if they refuse every time, I have confidence that they are in their right mind and they know what they're doing. Even before I hand them uh, the, we have a tough book, so even before I hand them the tough book so they can resign, sign the uh, refusal form, I ask them one last time, you know, are you sure you don't want to go to the hospital with us? They say no again. I say, okay, um, you know, this form is stating that you understand the risks that could be presented to you by refusing to go with us to the hospital. The patient agrees, and I always say, on every refusal, every patient I have, if anything changes, or if you decide you want to go to the hospital, you can always call us back. Like I said, these, especially elderly people, do not want to go to the hospital because they have a fear of getting sick. And it can kill them if they get sick in the hospital when they come back home. Not to mention if they're still married, you know, if their spouse is still alive, they get sick in the hospital, come home, now they get their spouse sick. So hospitals aren't friendly to the elderly. They're just not. Hospitals are dirty no matter how much they try and keep them clean. I mean, there's just, there's germs everywhere. There's sick people everywhere. It doesn't matter. You're not going to get away from it. But we need to take care of the people in our communities that we serve. And we need to do it with the respect, empathy, and compassion that they deserve. So, like I always say, whether you're working a 12-hour shift, a 24-hour shift, if you pick up overtime and are working 36 hours straight, it doesn't matter. If you get a call, no matter what time it is, no matter how tired you are, if you've eaten or not, you need to treat every patient with respect. You know, like I said before, they call 911 because 
they have lost control of their situation and are looking for somebody outside to help them. Nobody calls 911 because they're having a good day. You know, a, a, a little cough in an elderly man could be his worst day, whereas a, I don't know, 20-year-old female who just got into a car accident and, you know, now has uh, possibly fractured vertebrae could be her worst day. So depending on who you are, what age of life you're in, your worst day changes. And like I said, these old people have lost their sense of independence where now they rely on people all the time to help them. And it is sad. Um, it's sad to see because they just seem so helpless. Um, but, you know, it's it's our job. We When we're on call, we have to answer that call no matter what we're doing. Even, you know, going to the bathroom, we could be in the bathroom, get a call, you got to stop and go. I mean, either stop and go or hurry up because it, it could be life or death. It could be. Um, but, you know, that's all I got for this one. Just be aware, you know, be a good EMT, paramedic, and... Like I said, treat these people with respect and compassion because that is what they're looking for. So as always, let me know what you think about this podcast. Let me know what kind of person you are when it comes to refusals. Do you try and convince them to go? And if you don't convince them, do you uh, get the refusal signed? Or do you stay on scene longer until they agree with you? Or do you not... Uh, try and convince them at all and just get the refusal. But let me know on Instagram at EMT underscore life underscore podcasts. And also don't forget that you can give this podcast a rating on whichever listening platform that you listen on. Uh, so thank you as always for your support. Like I said, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving and got to see family members that they might not have seen in a while. Um, if you're coming back from, from a week-long trip, uh, I hope you have safe travels, and everyone, God bless.